0: Uh, We we have the uh, privilege uh, uh, to start churches in spiritually under-resourced areas all around the United States. Uh, One of those places is Denver, Colorado, and we've had the privilege of starting four churches or helping start four churches in the Denver area, and we will this year be starting our fifth Uh, The church planner who will be involved in that is uh, Corbin Hobbs, who's with us today to be our guest teacher. He and his wife, Allie, have moved there to Denver, and they're with us today. I wanted them to be here so that you could put a name with a face, because we're going to be sending financial resources, we will be coaching, we will be sending teams, and I want you to pray intelligently. Uh, You're in for a treat. Uh, I was here, heard half of his sermon last night and heard the whole thing at the 930 service. I liked the whole thing, Corbin. I, I knew I liked the first half, but uh, did an excellent job, and so you guys are in for a blessing today. Would you give a Lake Point welcome to Corbin Hopps? Thanks, Chief. Good morning, Lake Point.
1: Um, in light of the storms, my Prayer this morning has been from Second Corinthians that the God of all comfort would be present with the people who have been affected by the storms, and that God would turn this brokenness into good. I've been praying that for this area this morning. I'm not from this area, and so my heart goes out to those who have been affected. Like Pastor Steve said, my name is Corbin. And my wife, Allie, and I live in Denver, Colorado, where we've lived for about six months. And God has given us a vision to plant a new church, a lot like Lake Point, um, that where we see many people come to know Jesus and Jesus made famous as a new church of Jesus worshipers is planted. And so thank you guys so much for your support. We ask that you would pray for us in our work because like Pastor Steve said, it is a spiritually under-resourced city. And so pray for us. I don't know if you, like me, have ever been given an assignment that was totally overwhelming to you. I'm talking about one of those assignments in life where whenever it's assigned to you, you get a pit in your stomach. Uh, For some of you, if you're still in school, that was a big test. Your teacher said, this big test is coming, and you get this pit in your stomach as you begin to be terrified by the test. Some of you who are in the business world, it was your first big business presentation, and your boss says, hey, you're going to need to give this presentation to this group of executives, and as you can imagine, you get that pit in your stomach. Some of you, it was the first day that you brought your baby home from the hospital, and you looked at this baby, and you realized maybe for the first time that much of this baby's future depends on many of the decisions that you would make for it. Well, Jesus, in the passage we're gonna be studying together today, gives us one of these assignments. For most of us who are followers of Jesus, this assignment that Jesus is going to give us when we think about it and think of our responsibility with it, it gives us a pit in our stomach. I wanna read this assignment together and then we're gonna work through this passage for the remaining time. Um, We're in Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20. Let's go ahead and read those, and then we will work through it. Starting in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, Now there's three things that I know to be true about you if you're coming in here this morning calling yourself a follower of Jesus. Number one is right out of this passage, and it is this. The day that you accepted Jesus as your savior, you accepted a call to this mission, to make disciples. You were saved in order to be sent to make disciples. Here's the second thing that I know about you. Every single person that is breathing in here today knows somebody, at least one person, who does not know Jesus. Every person in here knows somebody in their life that may be a neighbor, it may be a coworker, it may be a friend that does not know Jesus. Here's the third thing I know to be true about you today. You, that's right, you are God's means of reaching that person with the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The church, you are God's plan a for taking the gospel the good news of Jesus to your neighbors co-workers and friends and to the end of the earth and here's the secret it's not really a secret there is no plan B you are it you are are God's means of taking the gospel outside of these walls to your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. And here's the deal. I believe as we look towards the new year just coming in just a few days, 2016, I believe that God desires to use 2016 in your life for you to begin to walk in obedience and make disciples of your friends, Co workers and neighbors. But if we can just be honest, like if I can just let you into my world and I can get into your world a little bit, whenever we hear that command to make disciples, I think that it is totally and utterly overwhelming. Some of you are hearing this command and you've been in the church for a while, right? And you've heard this passage preached and you know the drill. You are sent to make disciples and you are coming in here and hearing this message and you are already feeling guilty about how you haven't walked in obedience to Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And you're thinking this right now. Why did I come off of the happiness and joy of Christmas to come here today and listen to another guy who is going to guilt me into making disciples? Some of you are feeling guilty. Some of you, whenever you hear the command to make disciples, you are just feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're new to the game of following Jesus and you hear, man, I'm God's means of taking the good news of Jesus to my friends and coworkers and neighbors and all of these sirens and buzzers are going off in your head of why you are not qualified to be the person to take the good news of Jesus to those people. You're saying things in your head like this, what if I screw it up? Like, what if I just, like, fumble through the good news of Jesus? Or I don't even know really what to say, or I don't know what to do. And really, some of you are saying, if I could just get to the bottom about how I feel of making disciples, I'm just scared. Like, I'm terrified to talk to my neighbor or coworker about Jesus. And some of you are hearing the uh, command to make disciples, and you just feel exhausted. You're coming in here and you're tired, you're worn out with life, your job is pouring the work on you and you're coming in here and you feel like I'm just adding one more thing to your plate that is going to actually be the one straw that breaks your back. Some of you feel guilty, some of you feel overwhelmed and some of you just feel exhausted whenever you hear the command to make disciples. And if that's you, if you feel that way about this passage and you feel that way about Jesus's command to you, then I wanna say these words, welcome to the club. Today is for you because today we're gonna see Jesus give to us, give to us as followers of Jesus, a gracious invitation to what I wanna call a rest-filled mission. And the main thing that we're going to see today is that as we go out of this place to make disciples of our friends, our coworkers, and our neighbors, we can actually sit back and rest in the one who sends us. We're going to see as we work through this passage three encouragements that should function like fuel in our fuel tank as we go to live on mission for Jesus' fame in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And my hope is that you will leave here today energized and encouraged to go and make disciples. Encouragement number one is this. As you go, rest in Jesus' patience. As you go, rest in Jesus' patience. Let's look at the text together. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This provides a little bit of context for us right? Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead, and he's said to his disciples, hey, go to this mountain in this region called Galilee, and I am going to meet you there. Now, this would have been the first time that the disciples would have seen the risen Jesus. And let's just take a second and remember who these disciples are. I mean, these are Jesus's main guys, These guys had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. They had seen him do incredible things like multiply loaves and fish for crowds. They'd seen him teach. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him raise the dead. They have seen Jesus do amazing things. These are Jesus's closest friends. His closest confidants. It's kind of like when a boxer is walking into the ring and they have that posse behind them. These are Jesus's posse, right? These are Jesus's greatest and closest friends. And these are the guys that are going to start the movement of the church. Now let's look at their response to the resurrected Jesus. Let's look at verse 17 together. And when they saw him, so when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him. Time out. Don't read on. This is what we expect, right? Like, this is what we would expect the Bible to say. These are Jesus' closest friends. These are his closest confidants. We expect them to come and say, yes, Jesus, you've told us this was going to happen. Now, we will worship you. But then look at the next three words in this passage. But some doubt it. What? Have you ever seen these three words? But some of these 11 friends and followers of Jesus doubt it. Why would Matthew, the guy that, wrote this book, why would he include those three little words, but some doubt it? Well, I believe that it's because in those three little words, we get an enormous window into the patience of God with his people. Notice that Jesus doesn't even respond to the disciples' doubt. Rather, Jesus comes to both the worshipers and the doubters, and he sends them both on the same mission to make disciples. Now, there's a coffee shop in my neighborhood called Genesee Coffee, and this is one of my favorite spots. And whenever it was warm, I would go to Genesee Coffee and I would buy a cup of coffee and I would sit out on the patio and knock work out, knock emails out, knock sermons like the one that I was, pre- I was preparing for today out. And one day I was sitting out on this patio And this guy that is my age, kinda looks like me and my demographic, he rides up on his bike, locks his bike up at the coffee shop and he comes and he sits down right next to me at a table about two feet away. And um, immediately, I began to feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me to engage this guy, to talk to this guy, right? And I am, after all, the guy that's trying to start a new church. I need to be the one who is going to actually talk to somebody about Jesus. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this, and I'm going through that thing like, oh, should I do it, should I not do it? I'm looking at this guy, probably being super creepy, right? Like stalking this guy. And all of a sudden... I, I, I begin to work up the courage to talk to this guy. My, my palms start sweating and my heart's like beating really fast. And do you know what I did? I did nothing. I didn't talk to him. I worked there for over an hour. I packed up my bag. I went and unlocked my bike and I rode off. I didn't engage him. I didn't talk to him. I didn't say a word to him. And I don't know if I'm ever gonna see that guy again. And it's in moments like this, when I am feeling my failure, that I am reminded of these three words, but some doubted. Jesus is patient with me in my failure, and Jesus will be patient with you in your failure. I think the primary encouragement that we see as we think about Jesus's patience is that Jesus's mission is not for the all-stars. Jesus's mission is not for the people who we look at, and it looks like they've got all of their life together, like all of their kids are perfect, and it's the guy that preaches or teaches on Sunday. Jesus's mission is not reserved for the all-stars. It's reserved for everyday people like you and me. And here is the deal. If you commit to going and living on mission, there are going to be days where you feel like a failure. But in the midst of your failure, like I failed on that day, remember Go and rest in Jesus' patience. The one who sends you is patient with you. He's patient with you. The second encouragement that we see in this passage is this as you go, rest in Jesus' power. As you go, rest in Jesus' power. Let's look at verse 18 together. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, let me read those two words again, all authority, every ounce of it, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus comes to both the worshipers and the doubters, and he prepares to give them their main assignment. But he knows, here's what he knows. His mission to this ragtag group of guys is going to be totally overwhelming. And his mission to us, a group that really doesn't have all of our life together, is going to be totally overwhelming. So he calls a huddle and he huddles these guys up, he huddles his followers up and he says, hey guys, I'm about to send you on this mission, but I know, here's what I know about you. This mission is going to be totally and utterly overwhelming. So he begins to encourage the disciples and encourage us and comfort us by pointing us to his universal power over all things. Jesus comforts us today with his universal control over all things, everywhere, at all times, every second of every day. Jesus is in control of it all. He owns everything. Every ounce of authority in the entire universe belongs to Jesus. He is powerful. The one who sends you on mission has all power that exists in the universe. Have you ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? There are these seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo, and they say one word. Some of you kids can probably say the word that the seagulls say. They say this, mine, 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 over and over and over again. It's the only thing that they say. And in a real sense, this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Everything is mine. If you're not into finding Nemo, maybe a Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper will suit you. Uh, He says this, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, Jesus Works in power. He has all authority. Back to that same coffee shop, um, I have met a neighbor who I had become friends with. Allie and I had had him over for dinner a few times. And after getting to know him a little bit, I asked him one day if he'd be interested in reading through the Gospel of Mark with me. Um, and this sounds really good. We would. Read a passage of the Gospel of Mark out loud together at the coffee shop, and then we'd talk through it about who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world and how he desires to change us. And honestly, it sounds really good, but if I can let you into my world a little bit, I was feeling like a total failure at this. I mean, honestly, sometimes we would have to cancel the meetings because I would have to shoot him a text because something came up, or he would text me and we'd have to cancel the meetings. Sometimes he would ask me questions that I had no idea in the world how to answer. We've, a lot of us have been in this situation and kind of the worst of all is sometimes when we were reading the Bible together, our conversations were just so awkward, guys. So awkward. And one day we come and I'm beginning to start the meeting with my neighbor like I normally start it and he interrupts me and he says, hey Corbin, I need to stop you right there. And this fear came over me like this guy, is about to break up with me. (laughs) This has been so awkward that this guy, my Bible reading partner, is about to break this relationship off. But he looks at me and he says, hey Corbin, I want you to know something. I was on a walk last night with my dog. It was dark and I was walking and I was thinking about many of the things that we have been talking about and uh, who Jesus is and what he wants to do in my life and I asked God to save me. That was my response. Total silence. And then I leaned forward and I say this. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Such a biblical response, right? Such a biblical, are you kidding me? And in that moment, guys, here's what's going on. I am reminded that it is not my persuasion that saves anybody, but it's Jesus working in power in the midst of my fumbling and bumbling through the gospel, in the midst of the total awkward conversations, Jesus is working in power. And the encouragement here for us is that Jesus's mission is not for the strong; it's for the weak. Because in your weakness, Jesus's power is actually put on display. So, if your pushback today to not making disciples of your friends, coworkers, or neighbors is to say this, "I don't really know what to say" or "I don't really know what to do," you are the exact one. You are the prime candidate for living on mission for. Jesus, because in your weakness, like in my weakness, Jesus's power to save is put on display. As you go, rest in Jesus's power. Notice what he doesn't say to these guys really quickly. He doesn't gather these guys up and begin to point to all of the things that they are excellent at. He doesn't come together and say, hey, 11 disciples, I picked you guys out of all of the people in the universe because you are the most persuasive. He didn't pick these guys, he didn't say to these guys, I picked you because you guys are the best at articulating the good news of my life, death and resurrection. He didn't pick these guys because these guys were the greatest Bible scholars of their age. Rather, he gathers these guys up and he points them away from themselves and he says, hey guys, in the midst of this overwhelming mission that I'm sending you on, look at my power. As you go, rest in Jesus's power. Third encouragement we get in this text is at the very end of the text, and it is this. As you go to make disciples of your friends, coworkers, and neighbors, rest in Jesus's power. Presence. Let's look at the text together. Jesus, in verse 19, actually gives the mission to us. He says, hey, my desire, your main thing, is to make disciples. And then at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, it's the last sentence in the book, he says this to us, and behold, I am with you always. Literal translation, I am with you every day to the end of the age. Guys, look, the one who is patient with you, the one who holds all authority and power in the entire universe is actually present with you. The one who sends you does not send you alone, but rather goes with you. So as you walk into your office on that Monday morning mission to make disciples, you are not alone. As you walk onto that little league baseball field as a coach, To make disciples, you are not alone. As you take cookies to the neighbor's house in order to engage them and build a friendship with them, you are not alone. I believe that two of the greatest enemies to Jesus' mission are loneliness and fear. I'm scared because I don't wanna be alone. I can't do this alone. Or I'm just flat out scared. And Jesus answers both of these pushbacks with his presence. You are not alone. Jesus is with you. And so if you're the scared one here, if you're the one that says, hey, when I think about making disciples, I am just terrified. Jesus says this to you today, go and make disciples, but rest knowing that I, the powerful one, am with you, I'm with you. Go, resting in Jesus's presence. I believe that God wants to use 2016, looking towards the new year, in your life to make disciples of your friends, co-workers, and neighbors. I believe that he wants to use you and me to change people's lives for an eternity. We have our mission. Our mission as followers of Jesus is to make disciples. We have our fuel in the fuel tank. We have a patient, a powerful, and a present king who sends us out on mission. So here's the question. What in the world do we do? How how do we do this? What What am I supposed to, when I walk through those doors in the back, what am I supposed to do with this message? Well, I have an assignment for you guys. I have an assignment for every person in this room. In four days, in four days, every person sitting in this room and outside of this room is gonna do one thing. They're gonna celebrate the new year. They're gonna gather in homes all over the Dallas metroplex and they're gonna celebrate at midnight that we, 2016 has come. Here is the new year. Here's your assignment. What if you use your new year's party that you are either throwing or attending with the intentions of making disciples? What if you decided today that instead of just throwing a party for all of your closest friends that know Jesus, you said, you know what, what if we threw a party and we put an invite out to all of the neighbors that we've been meaning to get to know, and we put an invite out to all of the coworkers that we've been meaning to get to know, and we used New Year's Eve to cook some good food, don't cook bad food, represent Jesus well, right? To cook some good food and plan some fun party games and get to know these people with the intention of beginning to speak the good news of Jesus into their lives but Corbin what if I screw it up like what if I begin to talk to somebody and I just start fumbling and bumbling and utterly fail Jesus is patient with you as you live on mission But Corbin, what if I don't know what to say or don't really know what to do? Jesus is going to work in power through you as you proclaim the good news of the gospel. But Corbin, what if I just wrestle through all of my feelings about making disciples and at the end of the day, I just say, I'm scared. Jesus is present with you. Go and make disciples of your friends, neighbors, and coworkers, resting in Jesus's patience, resting in Jesus's power, and resting in Jesus's presence. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I pray for those that are here and those that are attending online. I pray that as you are sending them out on mission for those who are worried, that they are going to fail. I pray that they would be reminded by your spirit of your patience. I pray for those who feel like they don't know what to do or they don't know what to say. I pray that they would be reminded of your power in our weakness. And I pray for those who are just scared, scared to make disciples. I pray that by your spirit they would be reminded of your presence. I pray that you would use these people to work for the fame of your name as they make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.